Welcome to Views from the World Tree. On this week's show, we grab our socket wrenches, our ratchets, and grab our toolbox, because we're looking at car maintenance. And now, on with the show. Let's read some user reviews. Uh, so before we jump into news, I uh, just wanted to share a review that was left for us on iTunes. This was actually left about a month ago, and I didn't notice it until Steve brought it up just now. Um, this is from a user called, this username is taken also. Best username ever. I agree. He says, or I guess they say, five stars, long overdue. I grew up knowing Adam in school, but lost touch when we all hit silly phases in high school. It has been enjoyable listening to him as well as getting to know his cousin, Steve. I've never been much of a gamer, mostly because I've always had a hard time sitting still long enough. It has been long overdue for me to leave a review. I enjoy this podcast for the variety, kindness, and honesty. Thanks, guys, for keeping my attention long enough to keep me listening. Thank you. Username is taken also. Yeah, we re- we we really appreciate it. Um, and I, I still love the name. Best name ever. <laughs> yes, definitely. Oh, yes. Oh, I see. Good news, everyone. I guess I'll go first since you uh, read our very first five-star review. I feel like we need some fanfare. Like, hooray. We did amazing. I don't know that I have any fanfare buttons on my thing. I have this. Wow. Uh, <laughs> not quite. Yeah. All the other ones are like, you know, sad stuff. So. Oh, man. We'll just do the classic Monty Python. Uh, and there was much rejoicing. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, as far as this week, uh, reading. Um, I have been reading an organic chemistry book um, all week long, looking at infrared spectroscopy. That word is hard to say. Mass spectroscopy and... Uh, magnetic resolution. Um, So nothing exciting at all, unless you're a geek and you get, uh, you get excited about looking at chemicals. I think you got to be like, (laughs) like a nerd among nerds to, to, uh, you know, get off on like OCHEM textbooks and stuff. That's just, I don't know. I thankfully didn't have to take that class um, in school because I wasn't doing any like biology or anything like that. I went down the uh, engineering, physics, and math route. And people say they hate math, but I would still rather do math than organic chem. Um, it's not horrible. The, the this section with all the spectros- spectroscopy is almost like solving um, Sudoku puzzles. You you look at the signatures left by these molecules and you can actually kind of figure out what they look like. It's it's like Sherlock Holmes, Sudoku. It's 
puzzles and it can be fun, but um, I can only take so much uh, logic puzzles before my head explodes, which is why I didn't go down the uh, computer programming route like you did. Yeah. Well, you've got uh, you've got the brain for it, and I apparently don't. So. Mm. <laughs> um. And then watching. Um. I actually on Netflix there's uh they have the documentary Won't You Be My Neighbor which is the um the Fred Rogers kind of biography and I watched that the other day just cuz I was feeling a little down and I needed I needed somebody to tell me that they liked me just the way that I am and it was amazing and I really enjoyed that biography. I don't know if you've seen that that one yet. Um, what was it called again? Uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? I, I've seen it, but I haven't read it. Or rather, I haven't, yeah. I saw it advertised. I have not seen it. <laughs> gotcha. It must be one of those nights for both of us. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go into details, but it's been a long week, and it's only Wednesday. <clears throat> so. Uh, fair. <laughs> Sounds like you are and I are uh, about at the same mental wavelength. Um, <laughs> but uh, that film, I actually, I actually highly recommend it. It um, it looks at his early life. It looks at him uh, getting his like wanting to explore television before he went to seminary, and then talks about him returning to television after he became an ordained priest, uh, pastor and just, mm-hmm. um, just a neat story. Uh, just, I don't know. Sometimes we need to watch those movies and shows and read things where we just feel good about ourselves afterwards. And that's one of those that we just feel good about ourselves after. Nice. So, yeah. And then uh, news news. Um, I did not have time to peruse the internet, uh, find anything shocking or amazing or anything like that. Um, but what I did do, I kind of decided, um, since I'm a little bit of a bibliophile, I love books, um, I decided to go check out the secondhand store at our local library and see if I could find any books that might be able to flip on ebay so i found a couple um problem is the books that i found i was so excited about that i decided that i wanted to read them before i sold them so (laughs) you know there you go the problem with loving books (laughs) just means you get to enjoy them before you make a profit on them hopefully uh i should make a profit i one of the books i found was a uh first edition hardback from chuck norris Uh, which is uh, got it right here. The secret power within Zen solutions to real problems. Hmm. And so kind of small spent $2 on it. And I'll probably listed at seven. So yeah, somebody will buy it. Yeah. That's the hope. I I, I figured name recognition, Chuck Mm -hmm. Norris. Cool. So yeah. What about you? What's going on in the life of Adam? Um, so pretty busy week. Um, 
it's always fun when stuff breaks at work. So, uh, last two days, I have not had time to do anything. I literally wore out the battery on my headset at work on conference calls. So, um, I did, however, over the weekend, um, as far as my reading news, I, big surprise, (laughs) make sure you're sitting down, picked up another new book. So... (laughs) Wait, what? Uh, you you, know, you finished right? the ones that you were reading? Oh, no. No, no, no. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> you never finish books because then you can't, like, go back and, and juggle them. That's part of the fun, right? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, my my head hurts trying to keep uh, just three stories uh, separate. I don't know how you can do 20. Uh, so this one, I'm trying to remember... Somebody told me about it. Um, I'm not sure where it was. So if whoever recommended it to me is listening, I apologize that I don't remember who it was that recommended it, but I did pick it up. So um, the book is called Closeted, My Life as a Gay BYU Student, a memoir. Um, It's Mm -hmm. by a guy named Jonathan Alder. And I think it was just released recently. Um. And I'm just barely starting it. Um, I just picked it up. Like I said, I picked it up over the weekend and then uh, read like half a chapter and haven't had time to get back into it yet. But it's pretty interesting. It's from somebody that's um, kind of our age, um, but a little bit younger. And it's just his experiences, what it was like to be an openly gay student at Brigham Young University, uh, which if you're not familiar is a, a university owned by the Mormon church. It's located in Utah. It's very strict and very conservative. Um, and so I'll just read the synopsis. It says, uh, my plan was simple, serve a full-time mission, go to college, get married, stick it out until death. However, that's not what happened. I began my studies at BYU, hoping, hoping to strengthen my faith while I searched for love. That's when I met both Claire and Easton. I knew who I wanted and who I was supposed to want. Reconciling my faith and sexuality was my only goal. But if my bishop discovered my actions, my BYU enrollment would be called into question. The fallout of my honest search for answers would threaten more than just my education. So. Wow. It's, uh, it's like I said, this, what I have read is pretty good. It's fairly short. Um, it's under 500 pages, so I should be able to finish this one uh, probably before Thanksgiving. And and are you? Is this a actual physical book or is it an audio? Uh, this is a Kindle. It does okay. not have an audio version, so it's available in paperback or in digital. And if you have Kindle Unlimited, it's actually free. Um, I don't have Kindle Unlimited. I just paid the seven bucks for the the digital copy. So, well, there you go. Um, and then as far as what I've been watching or playing, um, today started the in-game World of Warcraft event called Hallow's End. It's a in-game celebration with side quests and activities that coincide with Halloween. So it will be my 18th year chasing the Headless Horseman's reins to get the Headless Horseman's horse. So, fingers crossed. Uh, um, 
And then, I don't envy you listening to that uh, <laughs> that monologue ten times. Soldiers today. arise, stand and fight. <laughs> All the really bad rhymes that he does, yeah. It, it it's clever, <laughs> and then you hear it for the tenth time in an hour. Oh yeah. Yep. Anyway. So been doing that, um, running that on all my alts, just trying to trying to get that stupid horse, man. And then since Halloween is approaching, my wife and I have been going through and watching a series of scary movies. So we have done the five Final Destination movies. We've done The Cabin in the Woods. And then a couple nights ago, we did The Ritual. Um, and then up next is one called... I don't know how to say this out loud. I think it's just called The Witch, but it's spelled V-V-I-T-C-H. It's like the old like old English spelling. So hmm. um, I have, I've never seen this one. It was new either last year or two years ago, but I'm really excited. It's supposed to be super, like super scary, super psychological, paranormal thriller type stuff. No, thank you. <laughs> I'll stick with Fred Rogers. Definitely very different from Fred <laughs> Rogers. <laughs> I I don't know what it is about scary movies. It, 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 me, I can't stand it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is weird because I love watching paranormal TV shows. Like I love uh, Ghost Hunters and I love... Um, uh, what's the one with uh, Sam and Dean? Supernatural. The Supernatural, like Monster of the Week, TV mm-hmm. shows, searching for the truth type of things. I can do horror movies. No, I hate them with a passion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not for everybody, but that's all right. Yeah. Well, I look forward to you reporting on uh, The Witch um, next week. Yeah. We'll have to see. It'll be, I'll have it, uh, a report on it ready just in time for Halloween. So. Ooh, spooky. Um, and then as far as news headlines, I don't, I was like you, I didn't have time to, to read any news this week, really. Um, so just was going to mention that. As far as a garden update really quick, our first frost um, is supposed to have hit by the time this goes live. It's supposed to be either Friday or Saturday. Um, But I'm still getting, like, not only am I still pulling vegetables out, I'm still getting new blossoms on my tomatoes, zucchini, cucumbers, um, and even my strawberry patch, in fact. Wow. <laughs> Since the weather cooled off, my strawberries all came out of dormancy and they've all got blossoms. And I have actual, like I have actual strawberries on the vine that are like probably four or five days away from being ripe. So I'm really considering like covering everything because it's only supposed to be like one or two nights and then it's supposed to warm up I was a little say, bit. Are you going to tarp it and... I'm, I think I might like, I probably have at least half a bushel of tomatoes on the plants. I've pulled off everything that's like semi ripe and I'm just letting it ripen on my counter, but I still have at least half a bushel. So about 25 or 30 pounds probably 
of just completely green tomatoes. So yeah, if I can just, if I can just make it through this first frost, man, that would be, and I'm still getting like huge cucumbers too, like 10, 12 inch cucumbers, you know, like bigger around than you can hold with one hand. So <laughs> it's been so nice. We like, we haven't had to buy produce all summer. It's been amazing. Oh man, I'm jealous. Our <laughs> we had a drought um, here in Colorado, and I lost everything. Yeah, it's rough. Uh, we're, I only we're planted three things, so I'm not worried about it. But yeah, still, yeah, you got an idea for what you want to do for next year? So yeah, I get to. Uh, Put one of my patches in dormancy, and uh, the one that I've been hitting with organic matter will be rip rear and ready to go next year. Nice. I know, I, I know the squirrels, the crows, and the ravens have really liked my um, my compost pile this year. Yeah, they do like those. Ours is in a enclosed container, so they can't get in there, but. Yeah. I do have, I forgot to mention, I have a couple of pepper plants and I have one that was a, like a multicolor hybrid bell peppers and it ended up producing some black bell peppers, like Whoa. just the coolest looking, like they either come out completely black or like black and green, like swirled, I guess. <laughs> so I'm seriously considering digging that one up and putting it in a pot in my garage what kind of magic to, did you cast on that thing? It. I don't know, man. <laughs> you know, me, the godless heathen over here doing all kinds of weird stuff. So, man. <laughs> but no, that sounds wild. That sounds cool. So, yeah, I saw a TikTok where they said you can, you can dig it up out of the ground, put it in a pot, prune it back, and then stick it in your garage where it'll be really cold, but not quite freezing. And then put it back outside next spring. So I think I might try that. Kind of a forced dormancy type of thing? Yeah, something like that. Keep it warm enough that it's, you know, it stays alive. But And then next spring you start out with a, an already mature plant. Um, so it doesn't have to regrow all the stalks and the branches. It just puts out new leaves and then it's ready to go. That actually sounds kind of cool. So it'll be a nice little experiment. I expect pictures and a scientific method <laughs> and your good. control group and all of that stuff. I'll, I'll take some, uh, some soil readings and to quote Matt Damon, I'll science the shit out of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not, but uh, we can pretend. There you go. Anyway, that's it. That was my news. I'm taking up all the time. That's all right. <laughs> You're going to do a lot of talking this episode because I, as I stated before, know nothing about cars and car maintenance. So um, I may just be here asking questions tonight. <laughs> Fair enough. That's, that's cool too. Um, why don't you take us through the list of tools then, recommended tools? All right. You ought to know most of these from uh, Car Mechanic Simulator, so. 
Uh, fair enough. So the meat and potatoes of this week's episode is basic car maintenance and repairs. Um, so I, uh, my experience working on cars is watching my dad when I was probably five or six years old and playing car mechanic simulator as Adam alluded to. So, um, this is mostly new for me. But I'm going to take you through these tools that uh, are so magically appeared on our uh, show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you're going to be working on a car on a on a vehicle, um, what you need is a socket set, uh, and in that socket set, you need a three eighth or a one half ratchet drive, regular and deep so- sockets. Uh, metric or imperial, depending on your car. Um, in case you live outside of the United States and everything's in metric, uh, we are still old school and use the imperial system over here. And so that makes it really fun to do car mecha- uh, car repairs, especially when you have cars that, I don't know if they do this now, but I know back in the 80s, uh, late 80s, early 90s, there used to be parts of the engine that was built like in Mexico and parts that were built in America on Fords. And so you actually had to have both metric and Imperial, which was a pain in the butt. Yeah. Two of my cars have both. My Toyota is all metric because it, it came from Japan, but like it was actually originally sold in Japan, but Oh, nice. <clears throat> anyway. No, it, it it's just wild. Um, I feel like, almost like the scientific community uh we should just all adopt metric when it comes to basic engineering and then not have to worry about having two different sets of tools honestly i think the engineers would prefer that because they all use metric anyway (laughs) right so then they would you know they wouldn't have to translate it into imperial anymore I, i know uh in my science classes Sorry, we're kind of going off the rails. But in my science classes, uh, it's always a pain in the butt when I have to change an imperial measurement to a metric measurement so that I could do the science and then change it back to an imperial based off of the report that I'm writing, where the person that I'm writing the report for lives. (laughs) It's very annoying. But, you know... um. Back to the socket set. <laughs> um, extensions for your socket set, U-joints, and a spark plug socket. Um, on top of that, optional uh, is a wrench set. I actually like the wrenches in most cases um, where I can use my own hand to get the torque in there um, over a socket because sometimes, I don't know. Well, they fit into smaller places too because they're not as tall, have a yeah. slimmer profile. It, so. th- there's just something. It's like I still prefer to use a handsaw and a miter box over a uh, power saw nine times out of ten. <laughs> I, there's just something about putting in some elbow grease. Yeah. Uh, torque wrench, again, this one is optional, but it is very nice to have. Not that expensive, um, and it can uh, save you thousands in botched repairs. 
um, your screwdriver set. This will be similar if you joined us for the home repair, basic home repair set uh, show. So use that one. Pliers, an oil filter wrench, fluid drain pan, clamps, and jumper cables. Um, that is the toolbox. And now that we've gone through the tools, that is about the extent of this host's knowledge. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, <clears throat> thanks for taking us through that. So I, I did a little bit of asking around and I was able to come up with the top 10 maintenance tasks, either that um, people that I know prefer to do or that they wish they knew how to do. So uh, we'll just go through those 10. Uh, but before, I just wanted to note at the beginning um, so that we don't have to go into it for every single one of these tasks. <laughs> um, for most, if not all of these, you're going to want to make sure just for safety that your vehicle is in park or in neutral if you have a manual that is on level ground, uh, the parking brake is engaged, and that you have like your wheels chalked with some type of like either an actual wheel chalk or like a, a, a board or something. So the car can't roll. And then anytime you're working around electrical components, um, it's a good idea to disconnect the battery. Anytime you're disconnecting the battery on a car, always disconnect the negative cable first and then reconnect the negative cable last. Otherwise your wrench or whatever you're using can become part of the circuit. Um, and then safety glasses and gloves are a good idea for most of these um, hot oil and stuff can splash. Fingers can get cut or burned. And uh, if you get enough chemicals on your skin for long enough, they can leach through your skin and cause problems. So with that out of the way, um, the first maintenance task on our list is just checking and topping off all of the fluids in your car. Um, and this is really something that um, you should be doing fairly often. I I don't drive very much. Um, I'm still working from home. Um, they sent us home during COVID and haven't uh, haven't brought all of us back because they don't have desks for everyone. So <laughs> nice. Um, so I don't drive very much. So I actually do this every time I fill up with gas. Um, but if you you know if you're commuting to work, obviously you don't have to do it that often. Um. So there's a few different fluids in your car that are kind of the main ones. Um, the one that people probably are the most familiar with checking and refilling um, is the washer fluid, the windshield washer fluid. This will typically be blue, orange, or green. It's in a translucent reservoir in your engine compartment. Um, there's different kinds. Some of them help with washing insects off. Some of them are designed for like sub-zero, sub-freezing uh, temperatures for the winter. And it's super easy. You look at the reservoir. Since it's see-through, you'll be able to see if it's getting low. You take off the lid. You top it off. You can mix different kinds of washer fluid. It will not affect anything. Um, and then as far as oil, this is the one that everybody knows about. You want to check it about every month or so. It should be kind of a light brown color. The darker it is, the dirtier it is. Um, and if you talk to different mechanics, you're going to get different answers about which type 
and grade of oil you should use. Um, generally, you want to use whatever was recommended by your owner's manual. Um, there are sometimes exceptions to be made if you live in extreme climates. Um, I will use a, a less viscous oil in the winter and a, um, sorry, a more, I'm thinking about this backwards now, a runnier oil, <laughs> a thinner oil in the winter <laughs> so that it can get picked up by the oil pump when it's cold and then a thicker oil in the summer. Um, and some companies also make oil blends that are specifically formulated for high mileage vehicles that uh, can be beneficial if you own one of those. So, um, well, uh, before you jump forward, um, sure. Uh, as far as oil, um, where would you find the information to grab the right oil to grab the right, um, Yeah, just the right type. It uh, should be in your owner's manual. It'll be in a, a section near the back. There will be a section called specifications, usually, and it'll tell you the type that it's recommended, and it'll also tell you um, the amount, like the volume that your engine needs. So, And is there any benefit to synthetic over... Um actual petrol based dyno oil like they call it yeah <laughs> um it depends on the engine honestly um so just as an example i have a 2006 ford f-150 that when that came out they recommended conventional oil is what they call it um however ford has since updated their recommendation and if you talk to a dealer now they will say that they recommend Motorcraft, which is Ford's brand of synthetic oil for that particular engine. Um, however, in my Toyota, my 89, um, it, they specifically say not to use synthetic oil because the seals that are in that engine, they the detergents and stuff that are in synthetic oil can actually make them brittle and crack and then they'll leak oil everywhere. So yeah. it really just depends on the engine and your manufacturer is going to have the, the best information. So just, you can either is just call it, is it up safe the service. To, Go ahead. Is it safe to assume that the, uh, the newer the vehicle, the, uh, the more likely it's synthetic? More, yeah. Yeah, probably. To my knowledge, most new vehicles recommend synthetic. So, But you can just call up the service department at the dealership for you know, Chevy, Toyota, whatever you have, and say, hey, this is the car I have. What oil does the manufacturer currently recommend? So you don't have to actually take it to them. You can just call them and ask, and then you can go do it yourself. Okay. So, good questions. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm going to add to this show is questions. So, sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, so... Another major one then, as far as fluids that you want to check, is your transmission fluid, uh, particularly if you drive an automatic, which most cars today are automatics. Um, however, I guess I will throw that out with a caveat that most new cars or many new cars have what's called a CVT. I believe that stands for continuously variable transmission or something. 
it's basically an elaborate system of like belts and pulleys that change the gear ratio on the fly depending on the engine demand um, and most of those are actually a sealed unit and so you can't check the fluid in them um, they're designed not to be opened or serviced unless they have some type of a problem so if you have one of those just leave it alone <laughs> um, however if you have a, a true automatic transmission that uses ATF for automatic transmission fluid you can and should check your fluid regularly. Um, automatic transmissions are highly sensitive to either too little or too much fluid. Um, they are also highly sensitive to the specific formulation or the specific type of ATF, even the specific brand. So make sure and use exactly what your manufacturer recommends. Um, and this has a little bit of an added complication in that when you're checking the fluid level, the car needs to be, so the engine needs to be hot. So you need to have been recently been driving it. The engine needs to be running. The car needs to be in park, obviously, and on level ground. Otherwise, the reading on the dipstick won't be accurate. So, and then like I said, overfilling it is just as bad as having it too low. It's even worse in some cases. So just make sure not to fill it if it's in that safe zone. Just just leave it. <laughs> so, um, and then if you have, so like on my, my Toyota pickup, if you have a manual transmission, then that is filled with something called gear oil. And this is going to be a little bit more involved. You're going to have to look up the specific gearbox that your vehicle has. And even then, um, a lot of these gear oil has changed a lot um, over the years, more so than some of these other fluids. And so it's almost certain that the best recommendation for your manual transmission will be different than what it was when it was made. It's also kind of a pain to check. Um, and really, the easiest way to know that you might be running low is that when you're shifting gears it'll like it'll be difficult to go into gear or you'll start to notice more grinding um, you can check it by crawling under the car and then up on the side of the gearbox there will be a little plug that you can unscrew and you literally just have to stick your finger in and then see if you can fill the the oil level <laughs> in there there's not like a dipstick or anything um, and if you so if you stick your finger in there and you can't fill uh, any oil, it needs more. <coughs> uh, make sure you don't mix types of gear oil. So if you don't know what you have in there, that means you have to drain it and refill it. Um, and then to fill it, you just have to fill it through that um, inspection hole on the side usually, which means you usually have to get a, a fluid pump. It can just be a manual one that you buy the auto parts store for like 20 bucks and you stick a hose in the hole you pump the uh the pump and it'll fill it up you just fill it up until it starts to run out and then you put the, the plug on it's super low tech <laughs> that sounds amazing sounds like you're taking a step back in time having an old car <laughs> it was uh, honestly it's 
I really like having an old truck and working on it. It's very satisfying. And when I got it, one of the things I did was drain and refill the the gearbox. Um, it's a good thing that I did because so the the drain plug on most gearboxes will have a magnetic ring or a magnetic core to catch uh, metal shavings. And when I pull it out, man, that gear oil was just, it looked like it had glitter in it. Wow. <laughs> and the, the plug was just covered in like these little iron or not iron, but steel uh, filings. So, uh, but yeah, I got it all flushed out and, refilled <coughs> and works great now. So, but yeah, if you, uh, if you're one that likes to grind the gears, then definitely check it more often. Yeah. Um, I know I learned how to drive on a manual, but kind of like everything, um, it would take a little bit of practice for me to get back into being able to, I think. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe, maybe not with the new ones that have clutchless, uh, transmissions. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The paddle shifter. Those are pretty easy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, so just a couple more types of fluid then that I'll go through pretty quickly. So we're not taking up too much time here. Um, brake fluid. Um, you want to check that fairly often. This is also usually a translucent reservoir. This is usually located on the firewall, which is the wall in between the engine bay and the cabin. Um, just, there'll be two little lines on there that say hot and cold, make sure it's in between there. Uh, this will usually be brown in color. Also, brake fluid is hygroscopic, which means it absorbs water from the atmosphere. Um, so it does wear out and become less effective over time. Um, so every, I'll say every few tens of thousands of miles, like every 30 or 40,000 miles, just uh, drain it and refill it. And, or, you know, take it in and have them drain it and refill it. Um, and then engine coolant is the other big one. This one, uh, honestly, this is kind of like transmission fluid in that there's a lot of different types. You usually cannot mix them, and you need to make sure you're using the right kind. So, uh, sometimes they come pre-diluted. Sometimes you have to dilute them with distilled water. Um, also, depending on the type of radiator, um, it's specifically it's the type of material. So like aluminum versus steel versus whatever else. Um, zinc content there's all kinds of things that go into what type of fluid you should use so um, i know some import models especially need um, not just like generic antifreeze so just read again read your owner's manual um, see what the manufacturer recommends and usually it's color-coded so usually like green antifreeze is safe to use for any car that takes green antifreeze um, orange and red are the other colors that are common. The big thing here is um, make sure you don't open the radiator cap when the engine is hot because you will get sprayed with boiling liquid and have a very bad day. Um, to check the fluid level, it's actually easiest to just look in the overflow reservoir, which again is a translucent plastic container. So as long as you see fluid in there, you're good. There you go. Um, I'm going to add one more that you should at least visually inspect. Um, maybe every third or fourth time you fill up uh, the gas tank, and that's your power 
steering fluid uh, for the newer cars. Um, This one has a reservoir, um, also has a little mini dipstick so you can unscrew it, see where the level is. And then a visual inspection. Um, Because power steering fluid is highly... um, Volatile, uh, if it gets aerosoled, if there's any fraying in anything connecting your power steering reservoir to the engine itself that could leak, you could be in for a very bad day. So a visual inspection is always um, something that I would recommend doing. Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe I forgot that one off the list. So I'm glad you brought it up. That's all right. I I know a little bit about cars. (laughs) (laughs) One thing with the power steering specifically, this one is really important to read your owner's manual. A lot of cars will say to use ATF, automatic transmission fluid, in your power steering reservoir. So just because your car has power steering does not mean it uses power steering fluid. That is a very good point. (laughs) The steering box on my Toyota Toyota is currently leaking very badly because the prior owner put power steering fluid in it instead of ATF. Oh no. And the seal, the seal is all rotted out. So <laughs> I'd, I'd get that checked because transmission fluid is also pretty volatile. Yeah. Honestly, that truck has got so much like oil and fluid <laughs> residue caked all over everything <laughs> in the engine bay. It's it got goes, a it's fine go. layer of dust protecting <laughs> that damn engine. <laughs> yep. It's got uh, got sludge armor. <laughs> As anyway. all good trucks from the 80s should have by now. Right? So, I mean, it's been going for 210,000 miles, so I, I try not to, to mess with it too much unless something actually breaks. There you go. Um, so now that we've kind of gone over all the tips on how to check levels, uh, we are going to go into how to change oil. Um, this is something that uh, can or can't save you money, um, depending on where you live. I know here in the Denver metro area, it is sometimes cheaper to go to a mechanic to have them change your oil than it is to collect the old oil and dispose of it correctly. Um, so definitely check into it because even though it's something you can do, it's not always cost efficient to do some of these things. That's a good point. But, um, so to change your oil, uh, the first thing you need to do is locate your drain plug. Uh, it tends to be near the bottom of the oil pan, which, uh, is on the bottom of your engine. It's quite literally, it looks like a cooking pan um, that's there to collect oil. It's kind of, uh, kind of neat that they would call it an oil pan. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But before you do that, uh, sorry, sorry for the uh, crash uh, for anybody that was listening. Um, We'll we'll, we'll edit it out. (laughs) All right. Uh, Before you do that, you want to make sure that you grab something before you remove the plug you want to put something to catch the old oil in otherwise you're going to have a big mess and yeah i i I had a joke but i lost it (laughs) uh so you put the uh, drain pan underneath uh you're going to remove the uh plug and you're going to let the oil drain into the pan 
removing the filler cap on the top can help it drain faster. If it's extremely cold, you may want to run the engine for a few minutes uh, first. Just be careful not to get burned by any hot oil. So once the pan is completely drained, replace the plug. From here, you're going to move the pan underneath your oil filter. Uh, remove the filter using your filter wrench and let that also drain into the pan. You're going to rub a small amount of oil on the new filter's gasket and put a new filter on. Tighten this by hand only. And a lot of things that you do with the car, tighten it by hand is more than sufficient. Um, you're going to fill the uh, reservoir with the recommended oil type uh, and viscosity. And then check for any leaks. If you don't see any, start the car. Make sure the oil pressure is looking good or that any of your um, in-cabin warning lights uh, remain off after you uh, do it. This is another one. Check your owner's manual to make sure you know exactly how much oil to add because you don't want to overfill or underfill. Yep. Did I exactly. miss anything? No. The only thing I would add is that I didn't put in the notes because I forgot is on older cars, it's not uncommon to um, use like a half a quart less than what the listed specification is just because you tend to have like sludge in the bottom of your oil pan. So there you go. If it if it says five quarts and it doesn't take quite five quarts, it's okay. So that's fair. Yeah. Um, so the next one we have is changing a flat tire. This should be fairly well known, um, but I'll just go through it really quickly. So first thing you want to get the vehicle onto as level ground as possible and far off, far enough off the road that you aren't in danger of being run over. You want to chalk the opposite wheel of the one that's flat. Um, so if front left is flat, chalk right rear, you know, you get, you get what I'm saying. Uh, remove any hubcap, sorry, hubcaps, covers, or other cosmetic like false lug nuts, whatever they have on there that's plastic. Uh, loosen the lug nuts. This is easier to do with the wheel still on the ground. Um, then once you've loosened it a little bit, crack the seal. Jack the car up using whichever jack point is nearest to the flat tire. Um, only jack it up as high as is needed um, to be able to get the wheel off and the new wheel on. Um, what I like to do after I've pulled the flat tire off that, and is I will stick it underneath the car's frame rail so that if the car falls off the jack, um, the flat tire will catch the car um, so that it doesn't slam down on the, on the brake rotor. Um, and then, so what you do after that, you grab the spare, um, whether this is a full size spare space saver type spare, put that on, uh, tighten the lug nuts in a cross face pattern, which usually ends up looking something like a star. Just so you don't go in a circle. You want to start, put one on then put the opposite one on, go to the next opposite one. And that just helps you tighten it equal, uh, evenly. Once you've done that. Go ahead and remove the flat tire from underneath the car. Lower it gently um, onto the ground and then finish tightening the lug nuts. Um, place the flat tire and all the spare parts in your trunk or your truck bed. I like to drive down the road a few miles and then stop and re-tighten the lug nuts um, just because things tend to 
get reseated and shift around a little bit. And then when you're driving home or to the tire shop, wherever you're going, just make sure and don't exceed, don't exceed whatever the speed limit is for your spare tire. Uh, this is especially true if it's one of those little donut space saver types. Those are generally limited to like, I've seen them as low as 35 miles an hour and as high as like 55. Um, I don't think I've ever seen one that said over 55. So just know that they're not made to drive at highway speeds. Um, they're not very robust. So also don't drive on one any longer than is absolutely necessary. Um, I know sometimes it's it's tough when you have an unexpected expense like a needing to get a like a new tire if yours can't be repaired for whatever reason. Um, so just I mean try to limit your driving. You know don't take any road trips on it. Um, if you have to drive to work for a few days, it's probably going to be okay. Just be smart about it. Surface roads avoid freeways. Yeah, and dirt roads and. Uh, construction zones drive it like an old lady sunday driver <laughs> um i would like to add uh i i like to keep a pair of leather gloves in my glove box um in case i do have a flat especially if it like violently goes flat it's not like a slow leak like you go you're going and then you hear the thump 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 because sometimes reaching back behind the wire uh, or the tire um, tires are bound by pieces of steel that kind of hold the rubber together and if the flat has had an explosive reaction or a quick deflation you can actually cut yourself pretty bad pulling off a flat tire so i like to have a pair of leather gloves in the glove box just to pull off flat tires yeah, that's a really good idea. All right. So we are on spark plugs. Yes. Uh, this I'm actually going to leave completely to you. As <laughs> okay. um, I like I know where they are and I know what they do. Uh-huh. But asking me when to know to replace them, asking me how to replace them and any of that stuff not going to happen. <laughs> Fair enough. So with spark plugs, um, honestly, it's, it's kind of a replace it when it breaks type thing. Um, other than that, I mean, you generally replace them. Uh, it's at specific maintenance intervals, depending on the engine. I think on my truck, it was, recommended to replace them at a hundred thousand miles. So it's not a super common thing. It's one of those things though, that if you have a mechanic do it versus doing it yourself, you're going to save like a significant amount of money. Um, just because it's kind of a, it's not hard. It's just kind of tedious. So, um, <clears throat> so the spark plug is, it's a ceramic plug that, sits in the cylinder head and the electricity from the ignition coil goes through these wires into the spark plug and that creates a spark that ignites the gas. Um, so the important thing here is to not mix up which 
spark plug wire is going to which spark plug. If you do that, then the engine cylinders will fire in the wrong order, which um, can send a piston rod through the side of your engine, which can completely foobar your car. So um, it's best to either change them one spark plug at a time so that you never have more than one disconnected or just label with like masking tape which wire goes where. Um, also, depending on the engine, sometimes you'll need to remove. Uh, so larger truck engines or um, some modern engines will have a separate ignition coil that plugs onto the spark plug and then the wire will plug onto the coil. Um, smaller cars and older trucks will have a single ignition coil that's separate and then all of the wires go from, well, it goes from the coil to the distributor and then to the wires. But um, that's just a roundabout way of saying you might have more things to disconnect than just the wire from the spark plug. So label everything. Um, this is one you definitely want to disconnect the battery. Um, when you're removing the spark plug wire, just make sure you pull on the rubber boot and not on the wire itself. And it does take a fair amount of force uh, to pull it off. So don't be afraid to really pull hard. Don't use pliers though. If you tear the rubber boot, then um, that will cause an issue where the electricity will arc down the outside of the plug instead of going where it needs to. Like it'll arc down the outside of the rubber boot and onto the engine block rather than triggering the spark plug. So no pliers, just do it by hand. Um, and then once you've got the spark plug wire off, you're going to use your special little spark plug socket. This is basically just a, um, a deep well socket that has a rubber core that makes it so that um, the rubber core grips the ceramic part of the plug so that you don't drop it. Um, so you go ahead and loosen the spark plugs with that, um, pull them out, and then your new spark plug should come ready to go. Um, there's a setting you can do which sets the gap between the the two parts of the plug that where the arc goes. Um, so if you buy just like a an ungapped plug, you might have to set that yourself, but it's not worth it. Just buy the pre-gapped plugs. And they're like five cents more, literally. Um, so you, on the new one, it's a good idea to put some anti-seize on the threads before you stick it in there, just because it makes it so much easier if you have to pull it out. Um, so put a couple drops of anti-seize on, and then very carefully thread it by hand, very gently, <laughs> into the uh, the cylinder head, um, into the threaded hole. These are, they have a very fine thread, and so it's very easy to cross-thread these. And if you cross-thread it and then try and torque it down with a wrench, it becomes very expensive and very hard to fix. You usually have to end up putting a whole new cylinder head on, which involves tearing the engine halfway apart. So just make sure you don't cross thread them. If you try to tighten it by hand and it's not going on, just stop and call a mobile mechanic. Um, once you get it in by hand, then this is one where 
you want to have a torque wrench if at all possible. Um, the owner's manual, um, if it's an older car, if it's a newer car, you might have to look up a service manual because car manufacturers don't think people are smart enough to do this anymore. Uh, but it should have something in there called a um, torque spec, which will tell you basically how tight it needs to be. So you set your torque wrench to that number and you um, torque it down until it clicks and you do that to all whatever, depending on your engine, all four, six or eight of them. Uh, make sure the wires are all reconnected. Um, again, hold the boot with your hand, push it on. It's going to take quite a bit of force. It'll make a very audible pop when it goes on. Reconnect the battery, turn the car on and watch for flames. And that's about it. Nice. Yeah, I'm glad you tackled that one. Um, I am one of those people that car manufacturers think is too stupid to do this, and I probably am. <laughs> it's, like I say, it's not it's not hard. It's not complicated. It's just very tedious. And if you're not careful, then you can cause problems. So fair. Um. So the the next one we're going to look at is replacing um, bulbs, whether headlights, taillights, blinker, dome light. There's a lot of light bulbs found on your car. This is one that I have done quite often, and I hate it every time I do it. Um, my my hands are not small, and trying to replace a headlight is sometimes difficult. Yeah, agreed. But um. We'll get into this. Uh, the difficulty is highly dependent, depending on the type of car you have. Ten newer cars tend to have larger engines with less space to work on them, um, which makes it uh, a little bit harder uh, to get into. Uh, if you have HID headlights, you you should probably actually not should probably you really should leave it to a mechanic. Um, for those of us with halogen bulbs, um, it's an easy and cheap uh, do-it-yourself. The first thing is never touch the uh, the bulb part of the, of the light bulb with an ungloved hand uh, as your oils can, your skin oils can leave a deposit on the bulb as it, as it warms up. Those oils can kind of create a film uh per se that just reduces the the length on the bulb and you'll have to replace it more often so use a glove or touch it only on the metal bits um so the next part is to determine if the bulb is removed from the back of uh of the housing or the front um something that i like to do actually whenever i have a new car or if I haven't done something, is to YouTube it. Most most of the time, if you go into YouTube and say, oh, uh, headlight replacement on a 2012 Subaru Outback uh, sedan. Um, I guess it wouldn't be a sedan. What's that? <laughs> I said your, your go-to example car was a Subaru Outback. You're such a Coloradoan. <laughs> uh, they used to be everywhere. Now I see Audis and BMWs because the money moved in. But um, all the Subaru drivers moved up here, man. <laughs> They're all up here and over in Oregon now. 
Well, it's because we got priced out of living here. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to derail your train of thought there. No, you're good. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I had to mute myself real quick because I'm still fighting a cold. Um, no, but YouTubing it and knowing your model, your model, most mechanics hate doing this about as much as I hate to do it and gladly have put youtube videos up of how to do it so they don't have to deal with it as much <laughs> at least that's my theory i think it's a pretty solid one yeah you're probably not wrong um so <laughs> if the housing if the light bulbs from the back uh you're going to grasp the base of the bulb you're going to rotate it uh, usually counterclockwise until it stops and then you're going to pull it straight out disconnect the bulb from the wiring harness and then you're going to install the wiring to the new bulb and put it in exactly right uh, the same way, turning it uh, clockwise until it clicks into place. If it's from the front, you're going to use a screwdriver to remove the lens of the bulb, grasp the bulb firmly, um, and rotate it about 90-ish degrees, pull it straight out, and then install the opposite way, um, replacing the cover and all of that. I will say uh, something that you should do and I that I would recommend is if you have a garage or a, a spot on your on your house or a building that um, you can turn the headlights on after you're done, uh, go out, turn on your headlights, turn on your car, turn on your headlights and see if you got it all the way in. I, uh, I see a lot of people that have replaced them on the highways here in Colorado where we have a lot of um, potholes and whatnot. And if there's something slightly disaligned, you're going to have a lot of uh, vibrations, which can lower the rate of the lifespan on your uh, headlight. It will also annoy the drivers in front of you as uh, flashing lights uh, usually mean cops and they're constantly going to be looking in their rear view mirror and probably flip you the bird. Um, also, <laughs> if you installed it in like incorrect, you could actually angle it up, which is dangerous for oncoming traffic because it could be angling into the eyes of a car in front of you rather than onto the street in front of you when you have your low beams on. So just check alignment before you take it out on the road is always a good rule of thumb. Yeah, definitely. Um, so moving on then, this comes to replacing windshield wipers. And I will just say that as somebody who grew up in the deserts of southeastern Utah, <laughs> I used to think that wipers were not that important. And then I moved to the Pacific Northwest. And <laughs> I am religious about having wipers that are like they're not cracked they're in good shape and they are the correct fit so um, when you're replacing windshield wipers you want to obviously get the right sizes for your car you can either take in the the old ones and the art store will match them or you can look up based on model and year of car and it will tell you which ones to get also, um, newer cars, apparently, 
tend to have like two different size blades, like one for the driver and one for the passenger. Um, other than my wife's car, my, both of my trucks are fairly old. So <laughs> this was new to me. Um, and then also if you have an SUV, like my wife, don't forget the rear wiper. Um, the procedure is pretty simple. Um, it varies quite a bit depending on the type of wiper. Um, some of them attach with like a hook. Some of them have little tabs that you push down, but basically you're going to lift the wiper arm up away from the windshield, uh, follow the directions on the package is that's the easiest way. Um, cause they'll have a little diagram. So just take the old one off, put the new one on and then gently lower the arm back down. Um, it's also a good idea just to kind of like pull on the wiper blade, make sure it's not going to like slide off with movement, make sure that it actually clicked into place. Um, and then also just test it and make sure that it, you know, it contacts the windshield like it should. Um, pro tip, try to do it when you're not in inclement weather because changing a wiper <laughs> blade in a blizzard sucks or a rainstorm sucks. Or late at night when you can't see and you have to go over to Walmart to buy a wiper blade and you have to, it, it just, the colder it is, the harder it is to get those wiper blades on. And you will be cursing a lot less if you do it in the day on a warmer day. And the easier it is to break them too. Those little plastic tabs become really brittle in the cold. Yes. So, so what's the saying? Uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, something like that. I'm sure something that, like that, that translates horribly into other languages. I'm sure, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's it's so true. In in this case, though, I I can't tell you how many times I've oh I'll I know the blade's bad. I'll I'll replace it next time I go to the gas station. I'll replace it next time I do this, and then. I never do, and then I'm replacing it at 10 o'clock at night in a blizzard and swearing <laughs> through every step. Yeah, been there. So, yeah. Um, uh, next step is to replace your air filters. Um, this one, the engine ones are usually easy. Uh, again, check your owner's manual, or if you buy it from a car parts an air filter from a car parts store they can look up your make model and get you the right one um, these are usually located on the front uh, top of the car usually in a plastic casing uh, with little clips you're going to undo the clips of the housing lid you're going to remove the old air filter clean out any debris and housing um, adam uses a shop vac i tend to use a wet rag either way Install your new air filter, close the housing, re-secure your clips. It's probably one of the easiest things that you can do. And an air filter costs about $10. And it's so easy. Why take it to a mechanic? Because a mechanic's going to charge you about $30 of labor for a $10 part. The dealer will charge you $60. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as cabin air filter... Um, these are a pain in the butt for a lot of cars. Uh, this is one, again, that I would YouTube it because um, they're going to tell you. Some cars you have access through 
the glove box, some have access underneath the steering column, some have access through the AC, some have access through the engine block itself, some of them, there's no access. So see if it's something easy, if it's something easy to do, replace it. If it looks like it sucks, take it in. Yeah. And just so one thing, some cars actually do not have a replaceable cabin air filter. They were designed with the assumption that you would just use the same filter for the lifetime of the car. So my uh, my Ford Fusion Hybrid that I had that got totaled, still bitter about that. Got got rear-ended when I was sitting at a stoplight. Oh, oh, that's the worst. And it was a month before I paid it off, and it got like forty-five miles to the gallon uh, uh. on the highway and like fifty something in the city. Anyway. <clears throat> yeah, that car didn't have a replaceable air filter. So some of them you don't have to worry about. Some of them, uh, some of them you do. I, I, I will say replaceable air filters were definitely more common during the age of uh, when everybody smoked. <laughs> um, now that cigarettes and cigars are less of a problem, car manufacturers can save money not having to add that part. Yeah. My wife's 2013 has one, like you mentioned, that's behind the glove box. So you just drop the glove box and replace it there. But I don't think my truck has one, either of my trucks, now that I think about it. Hmm. Anyway. Intriguing. My theory may be wrong. (laughs) Well, they're also trucks, and trucks tend to be a little bit more utilitarian, not as luxury. That's fair. So... Um, so brake pads is next. Um, this episode's running a little bit long. I apologize. Uh, I don't think it's worth splitting into two though. So we'll just keep going power through. Yep. So brake pads, um, a video, um, like we said, YouTube university, <laughs> um, will be very helpful here. Uh, the basic SOE here is you jack the car up. Um, this is one of the few that you don't do you know, with the car on the ground, jack the car up, place it on jack stands. Never, ever work on a car that is supported by the jack only. I don't care if this is the little jack that came with your car. I don't care if this is a fancy jack that rolls underneath and has the the handle, you know, the NASCAR style, uh, what they call a floor jack. Don't do it. Buy some jack stands. Um, Once your car is on jack stands and safely secured, also, uh, this is one you definitely want to chalk the wheels. I actually saw a TikTok where a guy was working on a pickup truck. He had the rear end jacked up with one of those floor jacks um, that's on wheels. And um, he had it in, he had the parking brake on, he had it in park and everything. But rear wheel drive truck, you jack up the rear end, suddenly those wheels that have the parking brake are not touching the ground. So (laughs) the truck rolled right out of the garage, down the driveway and smashed into his neighbor's car. (laughs) And the the video was from his security camera and you see him just like, just like so angry at himself. Just, and you could, the camera resolution was enough that you could see his mouth and you could just see him just bleepity bleep. Like, (laughs) It was hilarious. And then he walks over to the truck and 
pulls the jack out and just chucks it across the yard. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it was it was it was a nice truck. It was like a brand new, um, like Raptor Platinum, probably like a ninety thousand dollar truck. Um, yeah, I so, think I would be <laughs> swearing at myself too. Oh yeah, definitely. So, don't don't have a day like that guy had. <laughs> Put chalks <laughs> behind your wheels. Um, I said we were going to power through this, and then I went on a tangent. Sorry. Oh, yeah, it happens. Um, so next step is to remove the wheel that you're changing the brake for. This is the same, like we talked about with the spare tire. Once you get the wheel off, there are a couple of what they call slider bolts on the caliper. These are usually actually around the backside, so you have to reach around. This is why you don't want it supported by the jack, because you're going to be sitting like in the wheel well. Um, So undo those bolts and then pull the caliper up off of the pads and the rotor. And what I like to do is hang the caliper from the control arm, uh, which is just the piece of suspension that's right there that's connected to the the strut assembly um, with either some strong string or some bailing wire. What you don't want to do is let it dangle by the brake line. It's a really bad idea. Um, but you also don't want to have to remove the brake line and then bleed the brakes and you know, every time you change the pads. So just tie it there to the control arm. It'll be fine. Uh, remove the pads. Just literally just grab them, pull them off. They're just held in place by the caliper. There's no screws or anything. Um, If you are also changing your rotor, things become more complicated at this point, and we're not going to go into it. Look it up on YouTube. This is assuming that you're just changing the pads. So remove the old pads, install new pads. Always use two new pads um, per rotor, and if you can, do both sides, both rotors per axle. Um, You never want to reuse old brake pads. Um, so you, you put the new pads on there and then you're going to need some type of a clamp. It can be one of those speed clamps for woodworking or an old like C clamp that you spin, uh, the screw. You just need something to depress the piston so that it goes back into the caliper housing. Uh, because as your old brake pads have worn down, they become thinner and the resting position of that piston is going to be further and further out the older the pads are. And your new pads are going to be thicker, so it won't fit over the new pads until you push it. You can press it back in. Um, so once you do that, you slide the caliper over the new pads. You reinstall those two bolts around the back. Then you reinstall the wheel. Um then you do the other side because, like I said, you you're you're going to be do this the right way. You're you know you're not going to just do one wheel. You're going to do both wheels, do one axle at a time. Um, so start the car, um, fully depress the brake pedal, brake pedal slowly and firmly. Um, it'll take two or three times until it won't depress any further. Um, then once you've done that, you can test the brakes. So you know, drive at very slow speed hit the brakes, do that a few times, and then take it for a drive around the block. Just make sure everything works. And that should be it. Take the brake pads to an auto parts store or a recycling center. Don't throw them in the trash. Nice. Um, the annoyance of everybody, paint scratches. 
Um, I have some good news uh, for those of you that uh, are annoyed by these things. Most of them are so superficial, they actually don't cut into the paint itself. It's actually just a clear coat. So to replace most paint scratches, lightly sand the clear coat, um, and then just replace the clear coat. If you're cheap like me, lightly sand <laughs> down and use clear nail polish. Yeah. Um, I feel like it was cheating for me to uh, just do that because it's so easy. So we'll talk about changing the battery <laughs> as well. Um, car batteries do tend to die, uh, especially at the most inconvenient time uh, possible. Um, so I've had them die, especially during cold weather, um, as cold just sucks all life out of batteries uh when you're camping middle of nowhere when you're running late when you have an important appointment when you have to take your dog to the vet uh batteries suck and they die so when they do do this how do we replace it first off as adam had said at the beginning of this uh section you want to disconnect the negative battery cable if you're not sure which one that is, um, you can, as long as your battery is somewhat clean, you can look and see. Uh, they're color-coded if you installed it right with the battery pads. Um, you'll have the color coding. I don't remember which one is which in all black honesty. Black is negative. Okay. Red's positive, black's negative. Thank you, sir. Uh -huh. So disconnect the negative battery cable, disconnect the positive battery cable, remove the old battery and take it to your recycling or disposal location. Most uh, auto parts stores will actually take them off your hands for you for a uh, small fee. You can also disconnect them and take them to most uh, auto parts stores and they will test to see if the battery actually is dead or if it just needs to have some distilled water added to it. Um, yeah, actually if you, so if you buy a new battery from an auto parts store, um, nowadays they will add what's called a core charge, usually about $15. And then if you bring your old one back, they will refund you that $15. So, Oh, that's cool. It's actually in your interest to, to do that. Yeah. Uh, I was watching a YouTube video. Apparently lead acid automotive batteries are considered the most recyclable thing in like in existence. They're pretty much 100% recyclable. I so, didn't realize that. That's awesome. Yeah. Like every component, all of the acid, everything can be reused. Well, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know you can, sometimes spark life just by refilling the battery reservoir. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. Anyway, if your battery is dead and you have to replace it with a brand new one, uh, definitely take it to an auto parts store so that you get that $15 back. Um, and then you're going to install it the exact same way. Uh, in reverse, you're going to put the positive cable on first and then the negative cable 
turn it on, make sure it works, drive it around, make sure it stays power, because sometimes a dead battery can be an indicator of something else, such as a alternator or an electrical short or something else. So you want to make sure that the battery is the actual culprit. Yep. Yep, yep. <clears throat> All right. So along with the battery, um, this technically isn't a maintenance item, but it is something that absolutely everybody needs to learn how to do. I was scrolling through TikTok. Um, no lie. I don't know if the algorithm was spying on me or whatever. <laughs> two or three days ago and I saw a TikTok where um, these kids were one of their cars had died they were trying to jump start it I, I still don't know how they managed to do this but um, both cars had like electrical arcing in like this lightning spider web pattern across the the fender and the hood where the battery was where like the electricity had arced and the paint was just like the paint was instantly burned <laughs> like there and the electrical systems of both cars were just fried. So I'm the only, guessing they crossed cables. The only thing I can think of is that they crossed the cables and then they both tried to start the cars at the same time. <laughs> Exciting. Cause that was, that was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of power to like a lot of current to do that. But um, so if you want to avoid going viral on TikTok, <laughs> um, don't the, record yourself. <laughs> true. <laughs> step number one, uh, <laughs> step number two, <laughs> jumpstart your car the right way. Um, so ideally when you're jump starting, you want to position the two cars so that the batteries are nearest to each other. Uh, usually this means nose to nose, unless you have some weird, like, you know, VW or something with the battery in the back, but. Um, you want both neutral, sorry, both vehicles in neutral or in park um, if they're automatics and turn both cars off, uh, parking brake on, all of that good stuff. Attaching the cables, um, as long as you do this, it's, it's honestly, it's hard to go wrong. So there's a certain order that you should do this. You want to attach the red clip to the positive terminal of the dead battery. And then the other red clip to the positive terminal of the good battery. Then the black clip to the negative terminal of the good battery. And the other black clip to an unpainted metal surface on the dead car, preferably somewhere in the engine bay. So it goes red, dead, red, good, black, good, black, dead. Um, and then you, so you get in you attempt to start the dead car. Don't start the good car. Just leave it. You're basically just borrowing the battery um, of the good car. So if it starts, great. Uh, disconnect it in the opposite order you put it on. If it doesn't start, wait a few minutes and try again. Um, and then honestly, if it still doesn't work, the battery is too dead to jump. You can... There's just like redneck thing that we used to do where you kind of do like a quick charge on the dead battery by starting the good car and like pushing the accelerator a little bit to up the rpms for like five minutes and sometimes that'll get you enough charge in the dead battery that the dead car can start 
using like both batteries um but it's it's not worth it and you can cause problems if you don't do it right so <laughs> um yeah so just forget i did that and follow follow the recommended procedure red dick ingenuity <laughs> yeah hold my beer cletus <laughs> <laughs> famous last words right there you know it um, so then in addition to the jump start, there's, um, one of the really cool things about a manual car, manual transmission car, and all of our listeners like in Europe and stuff are like, well, yeah, doesn't everybody know that? <laughs> um, here in the U S most cars are not manual transmissions. It's actually difficult to find cars that are manual, um, especially trucks for some reason. But, um, so there's this thing you can do called a push start where you use um, the power of the rotating engine to start your car. And so there, there's a couple ways you can do this, depending on if you are with people or by yourself. Um, if you're with people, it's the same as if you're by yourself, except they are providing the pushing power instead of you. So. Uh, but the easiest way to do this is to do it on an incline. And I actually had a chemistry teacher in high school who his daily driver truck that he would drive to school every day had a bad alternator and he didn't want to change it. So every day he had this spot in the parking lot that was on an incline and everybody knew just not to park in his spot. So <laughs> he would drive to school and then he would... Um, push started going down the hill every day and the way you do that is you turn the ignition on sorry one second one of the problems about having long hair man sometimes they get like in your mouth and you can't find them i was about to uh narrate for the podcast listeners um adam is sticking his tongue out as he is pulling out a piece of hair from his mouth all From right, the sorry length, I'm assuming it is a beard hair, <laughs> but it very well could be part of his man bun. Man bun? I have a man bun. Uh, which he normally wears, but today he's doing <laughs> the Fabio. Yeah, I felt like brushing my hair today, so it's all, <laughs> it's all down. So silky and smooth. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it needs a trim. I've got some serious, <laughs> serious split ends. All right, let's go back to car talk. Um, <laughs> need some testosterone in here. All right. Um, so procedure for push start going downhill. Uh, you're going to turn the key, the ignition key to on. You're going to put your car in second gear. Um, unless you have like very little room to actually coast. Um, or if you're like, if you're having people help you and you're going slightly uphill, then first gear can be better. Uh, but usually second gear is best. Um, you're going to release the parking brake, push the clutch all the way in. The car will start rolling downhill. You're going to then slowly let the clutch out as the car picks up speed. Don't pop the clutch. Just slowly, slowly let it out. <clears throat> you'll feel the engine start to grab. And you'll feel the resistance. And then after a few seconds of that, the engine will start to spin and the car will start. At that point, you 
if you're up to the right speed, you can just push the gas pedal. Otherwise, you want to immediately push the clutch back in to avoid stalling. Um, and then if you're on level ground and by yourself, this is where it gets a little bit interesting. Um, it's basically the same idea, though. You turn the ignition on. You put the car in neutral this time, not in second. You're going to open your driver's door, and you're going to do this very carefully. And I'm going to just, for legal reasons, say not recommended procedure, although I've done it several times. Uh, you're going to push on the front, what they call the A pillar. It's the pillar um, along the side of your windshield. You're going to push the car using that pillar with your door open and you like walking alongside of it. You're going to keep pushing until you are going fast enough that you're kind of jogging. Um, <laughs> and then very carefully and with much finesse, you are going to jump into the driver's seat, close the door, uh, push the clutch all the way in, put it in second gear, slowly let the clutch out, and then basically the same thing. You'll feel it, the engine start to to grab. Eventually, um, if you're going fast enough, it the engine should actually turn over and start. And then if you're going fast enough, you just accelerate. Otherwise, push the clutch back in so it doesn't stall. Nice. So it's really hard to explain <laughs> in like a podcast. It's super easy to show somebody. <laughs> so this might be one if you drive a manual car just look up a video of it so you have an idea in your head of, of what it looks like. If you're curious, the first Karate Kid's opening credits shows this technique in action. Oh, does it? I don't remember that part. Yeah. I'll have to go back and She's watch. got the old uh, Oldsmobile beater. Um, and as they're leaving Jersey, uh, Daniel has to go in the back and push the car so she can... Uh, Oh, that's right. Can start it. Yeah. That's right. Um, before we go into our mindfulness, though, um, I did want to touch on 10 quick points of um, how to handle your new electric vehicle, as these seem to be the wave of the future. Good so, first thing is battery. Uh, because the electric vehicle is all about the battery, you should protect your battery. This includes not charging it in direct sunlight, limiting the amount of times that you use the quick charge cables, making sure you charge to 100% before driving it. So basically, don't drive undercharged, don't drive, um, let or don't charge it to like 60 and then drive, just get in the habit of charging it all the way up. Treat it like your cell phone and it'll last longer. Electric vehicles have coolant, uh, basically two coolant systems. They have your radiator coolant, which is pretty standard, so you can check that the same way. They also have cooling plates underneath the batteries. Um, visual inspections of those will help prevent very uh, costly repairs in the future, so make sure you're checking your coolant system, um, both your radiator fluid, as well as the cooling plates. Brake fluid, exact same thing as a combustion engine. Pretty easy. Tire rotation, stay up on your tire rotations. It will make sure that the vehicle continues to run. This is not necessarily something that you can do yourself. 
because usually tire rotations require a little bit of balancing of the tires, but it is a good idea to make sure that you are staying on your tire rotations, especially with a single point engine. Um, most electric vehicles don't have multiple gears. They just have go. And so uh, unbalanced tires will have a little bit more wear and tear on a single stroke engine. Uh, wheel alignment, same thing. Make sure that it's not pulling. Tires are going to be very important in an electric car, more so than in a combustion vehicle, just because of the nature of the engine itself. Replace your air filters. Um, we went over that. Cool thing is, the engine air filter is not as big of a deal because uh, you're not using turbos to supercharge your gas. So air filters only need to be replaced every two to three years instead of every half year. Um, air conditioning, not as important, but you know. Windshield wiper fluid, make sure that's good. Uh, as far as your car washes, car washes are important uh, for electric vehicles as rust oxidization can lead to other issues, especially when you have a lithium ion battery underneath your engine uh, that's susceptible to water uh, damage. So make sure that you are washing your car, especially the undercarriage, to make sure that the road salts and stuff don't... Um, don't build up to create that oxidizing effect on the carriage, rusting out the bottom, which protects the battery and your cooling plates. And then last is the way you drive. Uh, we've touched this before, uh, especially when we were talking about how to save gas uh, during the times of inflation. Very interesting episode. You should check it out. I think it was from <laughs> March of this year, actually. But um, single-speed transmissions mean the motor is going to work harder the faster you go. So power consumption can jump by about a quarter between 80 kilometers per hour and 100 kilometers per hour. So just roughly 10 miles per hour difference, your battery is going to have be more used in that jump. So with that being said, as exciting as the Tesla is to hit that accelerator and go not to 60 in like two seconds and feel that acceleration, it's really not good. So slow acceleration, slow deceleration, basically drive like your grandma is driving to church <laughs> and your, your electric vehicle is going to last a lot longer. So uh, we were talking a lot about combustion engines and I just wanted to add there is quite a few people that are switching to electric vehicles. So drive right, drive smart, and it'll last longer. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you decided to uh, to offer those tips for electric people <clears throat> or electric vehicle owners, not electric people. It's, electric just, people would be pretty cool, though. <laughs> it would be. We're still a ways off from that. <laughs> electric vehicles are here now. Electric people, you know. Uh, yeah, still got a ways to go on that. Although, yeah, one of my all-time favorite movies will always be Blade Runner, the original one. So, there and the, the book it was based on, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? 
good one. Good book. <clears throat> anyway, um, any more car stuff or anything before we go on to mindfulness? Not that I can think of. Um, I guess uh, one thing kind of like w- with the electric vehicles, take care of your cars and they'll take care of you. Um, there's a lot of people that complain about having car problems and them getting expensive. As long as you stay up on maintenance, you should be able to avoid most big money problems. Yeah, agreed. Well, that's why we decided to do it. It's the right time of year to get some of the stuff done Yep, for, for winter. So, Because winter is coming. <laughs> All right. Should we go on to mindfulness? Yeah. It's only almost been two hours. Well, we did have that two-minute break in the middle of the broadcast. Happy must, that must be what it was. That's why it's so long. Yeah. Not because we were just talking. We would never do that. Never. No tangents ever on this podcast. We always stay on topic. Always super focused, very uh, educational, very professorial, if you will. Um, so mindfulness, I threw this in here. I, I was scrolling through TikTok. I know TikTok gets a bad rap, but um, there's stuff on there that's actually pretty good. So if you interact with the right creators, it recommends more of this type of stuff. So um, I actually have quite a bit of stuff like this that pops up on my feed. And I came across this um, woman named Noelle Rousseau, um, who is a, a poet, I guess. She has one book that's out and she has another one that's coming out um, soon according to to this video no firm release date but she's been sharing excerpts from it and um she was reading this one excuse me and um i'm not like a huge poetry guy um i enjoy the occasional poem and this one like was one of those that like really made me just stop and think and be like, Oh wow. That actually like really resonates. It's not, it's not just pretty words. So, um, I figured it would just be cool to share. Um, I don't, I think her book is called metanoia. Um, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that it's not available for pre-order anywhere that I could find. So, um, I apologize for that. I actually just checked, um, just a few minutes ago to see if it had come up, but I'll just have to keep an eye out for it. Um, so the poem is called The Moon. And it says, I think maybe I am the moon after all and not the sun. I think I've been fighting with this belief my entire life that there was something wrong with me if I was not the source of light I had inside me. But the reality is there is something so beautiful and profound about being the moon. Despite the darkness I fight with, I still reflect light. Sure, the sun is bright, but it has no choice. I do, and I shine because I choose to do so. So very, like very free as far as verse and meter. Definitely fairly abstract, but... 
just the imagery there was so like profound and deeply moving to me. Um, the fact that, you know, it's possible to be, it's possible to exist with like darkness all around you and be constantly fighting, um, darkness in your life. And yet you can still choose to reflect light. So I don't know. What do you think about this? I really like that. Um, if you've lasted this long, you'll know that I watched uh, the Fred Rogers biography, and I feel like one of his famous sayings that he got from his mother was, uh, in troubled times, look for the helpers. Um, and, and I feel like this reflecting light, like having the choice of being surrounded by darkness and being a beacon for other people, being a beacon for yourself, finding joy in sadness is something so important uh, that a lot of us forget. We, we look at everybody else's light and we compare ourselves. And if we just realize that we are able to reflect we, we can reflect just as much as they do. It's not a comparison game. We have the ability to find light and darkness. Yeah. I think Very it's well great. Said. It's an amazing poem. I, I really like that. <laughs> yeah, I did too. I, I wish I could go pre-order her book, but uh, I'll just have to keep keep an eye out for it. So, um, Thank you. Mm-hmm. So what's on deck for next week? Um, Next week is our very spooktacular Halloween special. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That was good. That almost sounded like the soundboard. Well done. (laughs) Thanks. Um, We are going to do a quasi-realistically tongue-in-cheek episode about how to survive a haunting. I like it. Should be good. Yeah. Excited for this one. It'll be fun. And we will keep the uh, supernatural jokes to a minimum. I don't promise. <laughs> ah, good show. <clears throat> All right. Well, we'll see you next week for that. All righty. See you there. <laughs>